don't quite understand it. Um, with the whole ISIS thing and troops in the Middle East and should we or shouldn't we and negotiations what, in Afghanistan, of course. Top commander says U.S. will rely on allies to stop ISIS from resurging in Syria is a, a story in the Washington Examiner uh, today. We had some reports in the last week that if we uh, if we pull out, ISIS will be back and uh, strong within six months. We had um, Liz Sly from the Washington Post on to say that ISIS was down to one square mile. I'm having trouble reading this story. Mike Lyons, a longtime CBS News military analyst, joins us to discuss the sand countries once again. And just I'm going to throw him a a two-strike curveball in a bit and talk about Venezuela. But Mike joins us now. Hello, Mike. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, guys. Great to be back with you. It's it's always a pleasure. If ISIS is indeed down to one square mile, how are they going to be back and strong in six months if we pull out? Yeah, a lot of weightlifting and diets. I don't know. I mean, the bottom line is it's in it's in so many people's interest to prop up an enemy, to have it in the Middle East, and to keep propping it up because it, it just you know it pays bills. It allows us to write stories on it. We can allocate military resources towards it. But if you look at the reality of the situation, um, it's not in America's interest to be inside of Syria. You saw the president over the weekend say to Margaret Brennan that we're going to stay in Iraq because we can keep an eye on Iran from there. And and that's what the generals are telling them, of course, because that's really what we're doing. But now it's, it's taken the Iraqi government and thrown it into a flux because they're insulted that we're actually doing that in, inside of their country. So I, I still think the president's instinct is right top to bottom about getting troops out of these locations if we don't have any long-term strategy to be there. And if we're there just to... You know, be in the middle of things. Um, it's just, it's just not in the interest of, of our youth of America that we're going to ask to go give their lives for their country, basically. Well, I think you've described it beautifully. We're there to be in the middle of things. Keep an eye on Iran. Keep uh, Iraq from becoming completely an Iranian uh, client mm-hmm. state, and then having a semi-occupation of Afghanistan, I guess, to enforce whatever agreement the Afghan government, and I'm using quotes there, and the Taliban right. come up with. I think that is the strategy. Right. My, my friend Scott Miller was on the four-star that commands in Afghanistan. He was very sober about the situation there. Um, there's not a military solution at this point. We're going to have to negotiate. Um, it's a generational problem. You know, a report came out the other day that we still don't have trained enough Afghan pilots. We need 160 Blackhawk pilots in order for the Afghan military to be considered successful. We still can't come up with 160 of them in a country of you know 350 million people. We can't get 160 of them trained to fly a helicopter. So all, all of the generational things that happen in Afghanistan haven't been fixed in the last you know 20 years plus. Um, we're negotiate with the Taliban. We'll be out of there. And if we see you know guys and videos of guys jumping around on monkey bars and AK-47s, we'll attack them with drones. But but Afghan is going to be turned over to the Afghan people. Do you think that point of view is going to hold sway? Well, I don't know. Good question. It's going to come down to, you know, in, in the past, a lot of it, you know, John McCain has such an influence when he was the chairman of the House, House Armed Services Committee. He, there's no way he would approve us leaving out of there. And he, in some cases, the Senate and the, these politicians do have more power than the president. Uh, and I think it just gets back to whether Lindsey Graham and the folks on the, uh, on the uh, I guess, uh, on the House on, on the Senate Services Committee will do the same thing. It's, um, the guy from Nebraska is the, is the new chairman. I think he's going to be well line with what Trump wants to do, and I wouldn't be surprised if we cut the troops out of there by half, at least before uh, his re-election or his, the, the re-election back in, in 2020. ISIS was one of the stories out of the um, the intel chiefs when they reported to Congress last week, and the, the media making a big deal of uh, 
you know, Trump in disagreement with his intel chiefs or doesn't listen or doesn't read briefing books and all this different stuff attacking Trump because uh, you had uh, people with uh, uniforms on saying ISIS is still a threat and they'll be back in tough. Um, so, so are you saying they just they they just take that point of view because they want to continue the military machinery going that direction, or or, or what is what is the inertia of that? Well, it's it's in their best interest from a risk perspective to align themselves with the least risk averse position there is, and that is status quo. Let's not do anything. Let's keep changing the way we are. Things are going fine. But Donald Trump is no different than any president in the past that takes intelligence information and uses it in the manner that he wants to. And in this case, he uses it in an opposite manner. You know, he 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 brings up this great relationship we're having with North Korea. He thinks things are going worse in Iran than, than they are. Um, he he is again like the last two that have taken this intelligence information and used it for whatever benefit he's wanted to do. Mike Lyons, uh, military analyst on the line, dropping bombs of plain spoken wisdom. You talking about how uh, military and intelligence executives, as it were, behave a lot like I don't know entertainment executives or other executives. The smartest thing they do. I, I remember. I'll put it this way: David Letterman once once said that uh, TV executives' jobs is having their job at the end of the day. And so what you're saying is if you advocate the status quo and it goes poorly, you're at much less risk career-wise than if you advocate a change. Yeah, and exactly. Okay. And and you look at the, the Army, I still think, you know, I, I, I'm Army green through and through, obviously. And I mean, my son will go into the Navy. I've got to shift a little bit of loyalty there in some regards here shortly. But the bottom line is the Army struggles for a mission. And it's struggling. And, and right now, if we come out of the Middle East like what the president wants to do, the Army's really going to struggle for a mission. The Navy will continue to get funded because the Navy projects power in the South China Sea. The Air Force gets funded. It's a strategic weapon. But it's the Army that endures this great hardship in the Middle East. And it's the Army that will have those casualties. And, and, and from my perspective, it, it's just time to come back and reinvent the whole process as to what that we want our military to do. Well, that's interesting. That stuff. is tremendous. So a, a shift, as uh, I mentioned, is there any role for the United States military beginning with uh, providing humanitarian aid and ending with a, uh, a land invasion in Venezuela? Well, let's hope it's the aid, and it's humanitarian aid, and let's hope it's in a peaceful transition because that's such a tinderbox that could take place. I mean, we're really looking much like the 1990s right now. Afghanistan's going to return back to the Taliban in power, and you're going to have these Central American um, revolutions that are taking place. What could happen there is all a function of what the Army does. If the Army decides to turn against the citizens, you'll have um, a bloodbath in the streets as, as that military is well-funded and is well-prepared to do anything. Um, if, the, if you can get a transition of power, if there's another election, if there's something, then perhaps um, it'll happen peacefully. But we've got to be especially careful. A good example of reallocating of resources. Uh, maybe that, that does become the mission for our Army. Maybe we do, not from an occupation perspective, but let's focus towards our own hemisphere, clean up our backyard, and then maybe that's the goal for the next 10 years. It would be something that I think uh, people can get their arms around. Hey, do you have or are you going to write a book or do you have a blog or anything that we can turn people on to? Because this is really good stuff. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm going I'm to write a book someday. It's called you got to write a letter. And it's going to be about that everything I've ever done in my life it always happened because I wrote a letter to something or somebody. And oh. I keep sitting down. I start to write it, but then I get going. But no, I've, I've got to get something good on, on TV. Book. I know how that is. <laughs> well, yeah. 
and, and, and you're being a dad. In the books. Yeah. I'm going to write a bunch of them. I'm going to write, you know, puberty changes everything. That'll be about my coaching career, you know, coaching little kids. <laughs> Amen to that. We could bond over that. I'm, I'm a master of the obvious. You know what? And, and it's funny, Mike. I've considered writing a book many times, and every time I have the same thought, there are plenty of books. <laughs> right. No one's going to read it. It's that, it's that whole thing. No one's going to read it anyway. Supply so. without demand. Uh, Mike Lyons, CBS News military analyst. Mike, fabulous as always. We can't thank you enough. Great, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Oh, interesting. He's a lot yeah. closer to Rand Paul than he is to all of the mainstream media who all of a sudden is in love with fighting endless wars because Trump's the president. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, but he arrives at it through such an interesting uh, th- you know, path as a major in the Army and an, an artillery commander and, and uh, Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm, awarded the Bronze Star, etc. He knows what he is talking about from that point of view, from a soldier's point of view, and he arrives at a lot of the same conclusions that, you know, Rand Paul does, you know, via his road. Yeah, I'm, I'm not discounting all of Mike Lyon's experience, which is vast and all that sort of stuff, but some of it's pretty damned obvious, it seems to me, and has been for years. Afghanistan's going to end up in the hand of the Taliban. We can't stop that. Right. And any agreement we forge with them will not be worth the goat skin it's printed on. Um, uh, unless we, you know, there are certain boundaries which will not, cannot be crossed. Right. And and we are close enough to send something horrific from the sky to remind them of that. Some of our hanging around is keeping an eye on Iran. Yeah. That's kind of what we thought for a long time. And now the Iraqis have their, uh, their panties in a wad. Sorry to hear that. Maybe we can ship them some good American-made panties. Got it? Which are probably made in China. It's troubling. You know, he, the, the whole, well, I'll talk about this coming up. Obama's relationship with uh, the generals and Trump's relationship with his former Secretary of Defense. They both got treated the same way by the people that want to fight these endless wars, in my opinion. Speaking of endless wars, what the Democrats' strategy is for their guests at the State of the Union and what they'll be wearing to show their unity. Yes, I want to hear that. Get a vomit bucket ready. (laughs) You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The over-under, since we're all in a betting mood after the Super Bowl, the over-under for the State of the Union address length is... One hour, 20 minutes. Oh, that's too long. Oh. I'm, I'm going to... And the, the, the favorite is on the over. I'm going to hope for the under by... God, it doesn't need to be that long. Ain't nobody got time for that. There's that's no way I'm, I'm watching that. I'm going to fast forward... And try to tell by fast-forwarding if anything exciting happened. No, no way I'll, I'm watching that. I'll take a, take one for the yeah, team. Enjoy it. I'll watch it. <laughs> Good God. <sighs> you know what I'm really motivated to talk about is the Hawaiian smoking law and how horrific it is. But we'll get to that eventually. Let, let me pay this off just because I mentioned it. Um, pay, pay it. Pay it forward. One of the big disagreements, we were just talking with Mike Lyons, a military analyst, and he's 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 for us being done with Afghanistan and Syria. 
But uh, one of the real problems that Trump had with Mattis is he told Mattis to give him a plan for getting out of Syria. And and Mattis didn't present a plan for getting out of Syria because he didn't want to get out of Syria. Right. Well, at that point, you can't work together anymore. And Obama had the same problem. He I don't remember which one he was wanting to wind down, but he wanted a plan. And they sat down in a meeting. This is from one of Woodward's books. And they didn't. They presented him plans for continuing. And he said, you guys are trying to box me in by not offering me any, any of my plans. That's what the military does. They want to keep fighting forever. And and the civilian leadership has to put a limit on that or you'd be somewhere forever. Now, sometimes you need to stay, right. but not always. You know, it's funny. There, there are certain things, people, ideas that are, are so true and have been so true for so long, they've become kind of a cliche and aren't taken seriously anymore. But the fact that the Supreme Allied Commander, Dwight D. Eisenhower, upon leaving the presidency... One of the very few things he chose to say to the American people was, beware the military-industrial complex. I, I think, you know, I think all Americans ought to spend 10 minutes thinking about what he meant by that. There is tremendous money made in war. What my clients tremendous just said. money. So many interests on so many levels. Well, Careers, right. dollars. Right. Well, and just, you know, to complete the circle briefly, those tremendous dollars find their way into lobbying. I mean, you you know the stories, I'm sure, my friends, about, you know, the Air Force says, we don't want that plane. It's a bad plane. We don't need it. But they keep building it because it's being built in a powerful congressman's district. That sort of thing is legendary. Then you add the intransigence of, of executives. I'm an intelligence exec. I'm an intelligence whatever, high up in the intelligence service. I say, no, I think we really ought to get out of Syria. It's just not in the national interest to be there. And God forbid, I don't know, ISIS does have a resurgence, or or Putin takes it over and uses it as a a missile battery and takes out France. I don't know. Something happens. (laughs) You're doomed. Your career is over. Whereas if you say, if you advocate every single day you go into work, I think we just stick with the status quo. Stick with the status quo. Even if the status quo goes to hell... You can't be fired for sticking with the status quo. Everybody thought it was a good idea. Right. So that's there's just that's a human tendency, and I think people are far, 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 far too casual with the young lives of our service people, um, thinking, well, that's the only thing we'll sacrifice, and you know, a few trillion dollars of the taxpayer yeah, money. It's certainly so. too casual with the money. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 hard to know. I mean, and listen, if I'm going to put on my understanding hat. Which is uh, at the back of the closet, frankly. I forgot I owned it. Um, but if I'm going to put on my understanding hat, I would say even if people's motives weren't suspect, this stuff would still be pretty hard and, and, and complicated. And, you know, there'd be a lot of difficult judgment calls. But I think it's worth considering what people's motivations are as you discuss it. So, yeah. Our 20 State of the Union address. Just don't know. Oh, man. Long. I'm just dreading it. <laughs> is that the right attitude unless it turns ugly maybe i'll wait till it's over i'll dvr it and i'll just follow twitter and when people start saying oh my god can you believe that then i'll watch a little right when twitter goes wild oh no they're actually fighting there's a fist fight wouldn't that be something i hope he moonwalks at the end R- representative <laughs> <laughs> representative aoc yeah you know she guevara um, the liberal Democratic upstart from New York is bringing a sex assault survivor who cornered Republican Jeff Flake in an a- a- elevator and screamed at him and made him change his vote. 
because he's a gutless coward who is going to run for the presidency as some sort of moderate cross the aisle guy, um, which is not a terrible strategy, but that's obviously what he why he did what he did. Uh, let's see, Representative Pramila Jayapal D. Wash. Chairwoman of the Congressional Progressive Caucus is bringing a climate change scientist. Representative Ilhan Omar, D. Minnesota, Somali refugee, is bringing a Liberian refugee who is threatened with deportation. All will be wearing white. See, that's the part that just makes me want to puke because they're so pure of heart and good and decent. I hope they all go out for Italian food and get sauce on themselves. <laughs> Oh, wow. The left wing... You're not quite as vengeful as Liam Neeson, for instance. (laughs) No, not really. Uh, The left wing of the Ascendant House Democrats, according to Cheryl Gay Stolberg in the New York Times, uh, will have a rare opportunity to confront President Trump. In 2016, Republicans headed for the exits before President Barack Obama even finished his final address. And one famously shouted, you lie, in 2009. And uh, Ms. Stolberg believes it could be a confrontational night. Now that's got my attention. Uh-oh. Because Trump's not going to let it go. No, he's not exactly the master of shaking his head sadly, then going on. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Intrigue and power plays, as you've been talking about ahead of tonight's So Too. More political twists and turns in Virginia and the notorious RBG out and about. Yeah, I saw that. Good for her. God bless America. So apparently the Patriots' Super Bowl party after the game there at their hotel went late into the night, 4 o'clock in the morning. You had uh, Tom Brady, Robert Kraft, who was already drunk during the game, the owner, on stage with Snoop Dogg at oh, 3 yeah. o'clock in the morning. He must have been hammered at that point. I hope the two of them put out an album. It would be fantastic. That's hilarious. Along with MVP Edelman, who, by the way, was a seventh-round draft pick. He had a sixth-round draft pick throwing to a seventh-round draft pick. This goes to show you, Jack, how important those uh, draft day combines. Well, it also goes to show you never stop trying. Exactly. uh, Underestimate you? Well, you you show them, huh? They're usually right, but... Uh, Speaking of, uh, well, Snoop Dogg and Robert You didn't think I'd do much, and you were correct. Well, sometimes they are absolutely (laughs) right. Speaking of odd combinations, the president standing next to Nancy Pelosi with her probably rolling her eyes and and, and making faces <laughs> during the speech from right behind him. I just read in the New York Times and I was I'm reminded of this. <clears throat> they called Nancy Pelosi an institutionalist and a stickler for decorum. So it is not her wish, I would guess, that the president that the Democrats act up. During the State of the Union address and heckle and, and do nasty stuff. On the other hand, like a controversial coach who's kind of lost control of the locker room, I wonder if the left cares what she thinks. I got to watch tonight. Supreme Court's usually there. Will RBG be in the crowd? Let's get the news now go. with Marsha Phillips. Al the White House says Trump, President Trump, will call for optimism. The theme for this year's State of the Union speech is no current corn syrup. Is choosing greatness. Oh, that's even better. Trump uh, advisor Kellyanne Conway. This president is going to call for an end to the politics of resistance, retribution, and call for more comedy. C O M I T Y. 
Now, in the uh, crowd listening to uh, President uh, Trump's uh, State of the Union, it's going to be a whole bunch of Democrats that are also going to be running against him in 2020 or hope to run against him in 2020. <laughs> Big question, how will the Dems react? Sit on their hands or bri- break out into jeers and catcalls? That is what we will have to wait and see. I saw enough Democratic strategists on the talk shows over the weekend saying, no, no, we're... We're going well. We're on the right track. He's on the downswing. All we would could do is interrupt that momentum. I don't know if you know how many Congress people are paying attention to that, but that seems to be the thinking of your strategists on the left. And I think they're right. Yeah, but all it takes is a couple young firebrands who don't yep. care what the conventional yep. wisdom is. True that. Because they're full of self-righteousness and actually want, you know, socialism slash communism, whatever. They, don't, they really dislike the uh, conservatives in their own party. Yep. The future of Governor Ralph Northam remains uncertain in Virginia. Apparently, NBC is reporting that he's told his staff he's going to need some more time yet to decide what to do amid a lot of calls for his resignation after a racist photo from his 1984 medical school yearbook surfaced last week. Meantime, you got the lieutenant governor, Justin Fairfax, remaining adamant that a decade-old sexual assault allegation is false calling it a smear. Reporters asking him directly, do you think the governor is behind the story resurfacing? So, believe it. I, you know, I, I don't know uh, precisely where this is coming from. I, you know, we've heard uh, different things, but but here's the thing. Uh, does anybody think it's any coincidence that on the eve uh, of potentially uh, my being elevated that that's when this uncorroborated smear comes out? Does anybody believe that's a coincidence? Uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody believes that's a coincidence. Again, particularly with something, this is not the first time this was uh, brought up. It was a year ago. Uh, this was brought up, uh, you know, and, and yet the post who investigated for three months dropped the story, did not do it, and they did not do it because it was uncorroborated, and it's uncorroborated because it's not true. He sounds a lot sharper than the current government. Oh, yes. yes. On no the other hand, that. you have to believe the victims, Jack. We believe the women. We believe the women. So he's out. Unfortunately, the Speaker of the House in the Commonwealth is a uh, serial arsonist. <laughs> And so it's not. And then the, the gal who's right below him is a kleptomaniac and has been busted for shoplifting five times. So they're going to have to get down to like the third assistant postmaster general. I mean, he's something. a necrophiliac. Why, exactly. But that's not illegal in Virginia. So I think we have a governor. So what is the woman claiming about the lieutenant governor? They had a one night stand. They both agree on that. Is she claiming he raped her? Yes. She is. Yes. That's a pretty, it was not consensual. That's a pretty strong charge. Well, yeah. In fact, her... Do I have it? Yeah, I have it in front of me. She wrote a note to a friend that said, in a quote, Imagine you were sexually assaulted during the DNC convention in Boston in 04 by a campaign staffer. You spend the next 13 years trying to forget if it ever happened. Until one day you find out he's the Democratic candidate for statewide office in a state 3,000 miles away. She's at Stanford in California. And he wins that election November 2017. Then, by strange, horrible luck, it seems increasingly likely that he'll get a very big promotion. She does not name Mr. Fairfax, but it's clear that she's referring to them. And listen, this is a bit of an aside. We talked about... She doesn't sound like a nut job there. No. Um, although it's it's hard to say there are well, a lot of, of different kinds of hard nut to jobs running around, but but some of the people in the Kavanaugh situation sounded like nut jobs from 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 the jump. Yeah, true. So listen, we discussed this uh, briefly. I think at the very end of the show yesterday, there was a case in uh, Sacramento. Speaking of California, where three boys, ages eleven, twelve, and thirteen, I think, yep. rode onto a community college campus, slapped a couple of girls on the hind end then rode off giggling on their bicycles, okay? And that was called a, a, a string of sexual assault in the local press. 
And we were talking about, is an 11-year-old boy slapping a woman on a high knee, on the high knee and riding away a sexual assault? And our problem with that term is it's so incredibly, it's useless as a term. And you have women raped by brutal monsters. And it's called the same thing as an 11-year-old slapping a college girl on the butt. You've got to stop that. We've got to change that. Because here the woman says, imagine you were sexually assaulted during the DNC convention in Boston. I don't know whether he patted her on the butt without an invitation or if he held her down and raped her. The term is useless. We've got to stop using it. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg made her first public appearance last night since she had lung cancer 110 surgery. 110 pounds of blind justice. The 85-year-old Ginsburg attending a D.C. concert performance of Notorious R.G.B. in song. Or R.B.G., either way. Yes, she was uh, Yes, she was there in support of her daughter-in-law, the uh, singer Patrice Michaels, who put out an album of songs about Ginsburg's life. Using Ginsburg's own notes, songs for things like looking for a new law clerk. Well, I could listen to that all night. In fact, I feel like I have. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. That's your news. I'm so is, is she going to be at the State of the Union tonight? Because usually the Supreme Court's all there. I had not heard yet. I bet not. not. I'm guessing not, right? I wouldn't bother. No, no, absolutely not. I, I'd be surprised if, she, if she's there. Justice Roberts talked about uh, when Obama badmouthed them from the rostrum, which was really not a good move. That was not classy. Um, he, he asked, why are we here? This has become something very different than what it's billed as. Right. So I don't know why they're there either. Here's a good betting opportunity. What's the over-under on how long the mint lasts in Nancy's mouth? She's big on the chomping on the mint. Mm. <laughs> huh? That's a wrap. That's your news. Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. We've made funny, funny jokes about the Hawaii cigarette law, but it's a serious thing. Is it? It is. They're going to they're gonna change it to your, you have to be 100 years old to buy cigarettes. That's not a joke. I'm not kidding. I'm it not, sounds like a joke. I'm not saying it's not funny. It's just simultaneously <laughs> serious. 100. It's you have to both. show your ID if you're 98. You don't get any cigarettes. <laughs> get out here, Junior. <laughs> Come here. Do your mom know you're here? <laughs> Stay tuned for that coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty Show. The Armstrong and Getty Show. State of the Union Address. Today, tell all your friends that the Armstrong and Getty Show will have analysis tomorrow, because I know you and your friends talk about the State of the Union Address, like everyone does. There seems to be a bit of a, a rebuttal arms race going on on the left, so I think Stacey Abrams is doing the official response. I believe Bernie Sanders is doing a, a post-response response. Yeah, Responding to the response. And then I think Kamala Harris just announced on Facebook she's doing a pre-response 
before the SOTU, she's going to do a little live stream talk gotcha. thing. So there's the, there's a response wars. Is it a pre-spons or is it just a sponsor? So <laughs> that's got to be tough for the networks on whether or not to cover what to cover. Well, it depends how left you go. I say of those three, you know, your main streamers will cover one of them. Uh, CNN will cover two of them. MSNBC will cover all of them. But you mentioned official response. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so the, the one that gets televised. Well, yeah, but why the official will that, response from the Democrat Party. Why will that get televised? Why, uh, why not? Because she was the one handpicked by the committee. I guess I don't well, know. I don't know the rules. It's all networks. Well, there are. They don't have to televise the president. Right. It's voluntary. Hmm. We'll Freedom. Couple. Of the us. only thing stupider than the State of the Union address is the response. So. We'll have that. You know what's going to happen? Stacey Abrams, is that the name of the uh, yep. woman who's yes. given the response? Yeah, she uh, almost won the governorship of Georgia. Rising star. Controversial. Uh, Foul play. Uh, that's the claim. Um, She and Adam Levine need to get together tomorrow and discuss who had the more thankless task in the last week. <laughs> the Super Time halftime show, Super Bowl halftime show, the, yeah. the response the to worst, the show, too. No win situation. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, well, Marco Rubio is texting her right now, no matter how thirsty you are. <laughs> don't furtively look around for a drink of water. And then Michelle Bachman saying, figure out which camera to look at. Right. Oh, man. Don't be I stared forgotten. into the corner like I'd a weirdo. i <laughs> that one. Who was the old dude who forgot what party he was a part oh, of? Wait, oh, wait, where's that tape? Right. How is it? What? Right. Thank you, Sean. What tape? The best first tape the, ever. First I was in a Democrat. No, no, no. You're confused, old <laughs> son of a gun from last, was it last year or two years ago? I think it was, yeah, I think it was last year. First of all, I'm a Democrat. But most importantly, I'm a Republican. <laughs> and an American. <laughs> and mostly an American. That's right. There's been three. Uh, anybody mind if I just bail right now? Because uh, nobody's going to hear a word of this. There have been three disasters in recent memory. Right. Not just wasn't received well or didn't land a blow. Disasters. How about Bobby Jindal right. going from... Among the top of the top tier of possible Republican candidates to being seen as a bit of a, a, a wussy boy. Are you okay? And a strange ranger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really came off as he a... He walked uh, out with his arms at his side like this and a big smile right, on his face. Right, right. Oh, man. <laughs> Let me, give me this signal. Give me one of these if you find it. So a couple of stories of uh, justice and, and freedom and crime and that sort of thing. They finally found a way to uh, stop the homicides in Chicago. That's make it so dangerously cold nobody wants to go outside. Big drop in January homicides in Chicago because it was life-threatening cold. Uh, we learned many years ago, we've done many ride-alongs with a number of police uh, departments, and they've uh, each and every one been informative and fascinating the rest of it, and it's I need to do another one. Um, but anyway, uh, we found out there, there's a curve for hot weather. As it gets hotter and hotter, people kill each other more and more and assault each other more and more till you reach a certain point, then it's just too hot to kill anybody. Mm. You stay home in the air conditioning. I'd like to kill you like Liam Neeson, but I'm too, too hot. Yeah, it's too damn hot. And then uh, finally, I want to get to this. It, it, Hawaii, it's, if you're just tuning in, they want to pass a law that is going to raise... The smoking age is going to start it at, what, what's the starting age? 30. Again? 30. And then raise it 10 years every year till by 2024, which is the blink of an eye, you got to be 100 years old. To buy cigarettes. To buy cigarettes. Legitimately. Not kidding here. 
At which point, I don't care if you buy cigarettes or crack or whatever, who am I to tell you who you to live? You should get to do whatever you want if you make it to 100. On the other hand, not hurting anybody. who am I to tell you how to live, Jack, is the key phrase there. It might seem like a clever solution to a big health problem, but the logic behind the proposal is just about putting an age limit on people capable of making their own choices. And uh, there's a piece written by Eric Dunn, the Washington Examiner, that I thought was quite good that makes the case that you could easily, by that logic, apply it to eating too much sugar, drinking too much, not exercising. And listen, I don't smoke. I don't think you should smoke. If you smoke, I hope you quit because you're a nice person. I'd like to have you around. You don't I know they're a nice person. Smoke. There's people I hope they smoke more. You're a terrible person. Well, I'm talking to the Go nice away, people, smoke obviously. more. I I'll buy you pack. Self-evident. Anyway, uh, Aaron, let me cut off the filter for you. Um, <laughs> but Hawaii Ooh. is calling. What was the signal I was supposed to do? Hawaii is equating tolerance of a vice to murder. And taking away people's freedom in a way that could be proposed or uh, applied over and over again to stuff you do, stuff you like to do, stuff the government has no business telling yeah, you not to do. Don't allow it to become a slippery slope. If, if cigarettes arrived on the scene as what they actually are today, there's no way they would be legal. Mm-hmm. They Maybe. just slid through because we didn't know what they were all these years. Well, we could argue forever. Joe in favor of freedom and liberty. Jack in favor of tight government control. If you don't mind me characterizing the discussion <laughs> that way. But first, we must get to the greatest opening of a reply to the State of the Union ever uttered. I'm a proud Democrat. But first and foremost, I'm a proud Republican and Democrat and mostly American. I'm sorry, what, sir? You might as well have just clucked like a chicken after that, because you're through. You're done. If he had said, oh, crap, and taken off his tie and just walked off. You know what he should have said? He should have, here, play that again. Here's how it should have gone. I'm a proud Democrat, but first and foremost, I'm a proud Republican and Democrat and mostly American. You know what? Never mind. And just walk off. Tell you he what. tried to save it. Obviously, that second line was the mistake. Well, <laughs> like Al Sharpton, resist we much. <laughs> Instead of saying, I meant resist we must, excuse me, and then going on the line, I can save this. And we much to that muchly to be dedicated much be. No, he tried to save it. I'm a proud Democrat, but first and foremost... I'm a proud Republican and Democrat and mostly American. Hey, somebody hold the handy old man his registration card so he can figure out what party he is. He might be old enough to buy cigarettes in Hawaii. <laughs> oh, there is. <laughs> and it, it builds. It's like if you're, uh, you know, if, you, if you're nervous about something, then it builds on itself and you're right. nervous about being nervous. Right. So whoever's given the speech tonight has got in the back of their mind Marco Rubio in the water, right. this poor dude. Uh, a variety of other fails. For, this is when they handed the keys over to former Kentucky Kentucky Governor Steve Bashir for some right. reason. Because yeah. I, I think they recognized it was a thankless thing. Probably everyone was saying no, and then they dusted this guy off, and he gave this gem. I'm a proud Democrat, but first and foremost, I'm a proud Republican and Democrat and mostly American. <laughs> hey, hey, the libertarians <laughs> want to talk to you because obviously you're kind of open for business. <laughs> and, of course, Marco Rubio's was visual, but his weird 
I got to get a drink, but I'm not going to stop looking at the camera. Where is I'm going to reach over. And then finally, he, he finally dares to look. <laughs> like, like we're not going to notice as long as he keeps eye contact. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> that could have doomed him. Like the world's worst magician, just maintaining <laughs> eye. Don't worry about the... <laughs> well, it, it certainly gave Trump the weird ability to attack him for being thirsty. Yeah, yeah. Well, the uh, the woman who's given it today, is uh, she's been on the campaign trail and dang near won the governorship. I think she's going to bring it. She's yeah, also, that's what everybody said about Marco and Bobby Jindal. Yeah, I know. I was uh, saying the same thing about Steve Bashir. I'm a proud Democrat, <laughs> but first and foremost, I'm a proud Republican oh, damn, he's saying to himself. and Democrat and mostly American. And, and, and oh, man. <laughs> Son of a... Oh, you just got to walk off. It's like, you know, you're the quarterback and the center steps on your foot and you fall down. Don't try to scramble up and throw past. Just lay there on the turf till somebody tags you and go on with your life. All right. So anyway, oh boy, looking Hawaii, forward to that. Well, I just, yeah, I think she's going to disappoint because I think she's going to go 100 percent to her strengths, which is the civil rights Justice for all, progressive pitch, and I think she's got that down. But we'll see. Get well, the... I'll see you if you have any sense. We'll skip it, then tune in, you know, tomorrow, and then ask us how it went, or we'll tell you how it went. Get the lighting and the microphones right, though. That's that's what they oh. often make a mistake. They did that with Chuck and Nancy recently. Remember those blindingly bright, bright lights they had? Right. Sharing a podium, sharing a podium. Right, that whole American Gothic nightmare that they unleashed <laughs> on the American people. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the mockery. That's what I do best. Right? That's, have, that's probably the best response to it. We have no idea if this is going to become a shouting match tonight, if it's going to be a regular, boring, non-newsmaking State of the Union, mm. which is what I suspect. And if it is, we won't have to talk about it tomorrow. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.